This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. It's about time for farmers to start making plans to top dress their wheat fields. The key factors in considering top dressing including timing, nitrogen rate, nitrogen source, and application method. Adequate nitrogen is an important part of the potential number of meshes per head, which is decided after green spring up, but prior to joining. Both the number of tillers and the number of meshes are directly related to yields at harvest. Application rate is ideally based upon soil profile and soil test. This year is different than most years when it comes to nitrogen on wheat because of the drought last fall. There was likely a large amount of nitrogen left over from failed corn fields that should have reduced nitrogen needs for the wheat in the fall. That nitrogen could still be in the soil profile, reducing the needs for the spring application as well. Profile soil testing fields for nitrogen, sulfur, and chloride could really pay off this year. In total, the K-State recommendation for the amount of nitrogen needed per bushel of wheat is 2.4 pounds, but this includes nitrogen left over in the soil, pre-plant and top-dressed nitrogen, and the nitrogen mineralized from organic matter. Total applied nitrogen rates range from 80 to 120 units of N per acre, but this changes based upon organic matter, previous crop, and yield expectations, and whether it's hard wheat or soft wheat. Nitrogen rates need to be increased, and this is being grazed by cattle as well. The timing of application is a very important factor, as it is critical that the wheat has nitrogen early enough to do it any good. In the heavy clay soils of this area, nitrogen application too early increases the risk of denitrification, but there are ways to mitigate that risk. Denitrification also depends on the weather and soil temperature. Ideally, we need to wait right before green spring up to minimize losses and maximize wheat usage. However, this year, denitrification losses are currently on the lower end, as our soils are still drier than usual. Nitrogen fertilization at the latest needs to be done before jointing. Though fertilization is held off until jointing, there is likely some yield loss already. Most official recommendations say not to apply nitrogen, especially urea, on frozen soils. However, in some years, that is our only option. If urea is spread on frozen soils, it is very important for it to thaw before any snow or rain has a chance to wash it away. We have two different main fertilizer types for top dress nitrogen, liquid UAN and urea, and there are advantages and disadvantages to each. Liquid UAN when used with tank mixing with herbicides to reduce application passes. However, in heavy residue no-till situations, some broadcasted UAN is tied up in the soil surfaces. There can also be some leaf burn and timing issues when come mixing with herbicides with nitrogen. Urea is tied up less in heavy surface residue as it works down its way into the soil surface. Controlled release urea mixed with standard urea can be considered in our heavy waterlogged clay soils to reduce denitrification and volatilization and hold sub-nitrogen back until later stages of development. This is especially a good idea for earlier than normal applications. However the wheat is top-dressed, it will likely need some sulfur and chloride too, if it was not applied last fall. If you have any questions about soil fertility, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. In human medicine, newborns undergo an APGAR test following birth. APGAR stands for Appearance, Pulse, Grimace, Activity, and Respiration. This test evaluates the baby's tolerance of the birthing process and assesses vitality outside the womb. 
An APGAR test for calves, similar to the one in human medicine, can give cattle producers a more defined protocol to mediate in a newborn's life. Developing such a test has been difficult, but there are a couple of studies that provide some practical advice. In a Canadian study, two good predictors of calf vigor were identified, calving ease and suckle reflex. Most producers have the ability to assess both components. Difficult deliveries tend to lead to acidosis in newborn calves. A calf born in a timely manner that did not require assistance will be less likely to have acidosis. Acidosis is associated with failure of immunoglobin absorption and sickness. A producer can check for acidosis by pinching the calf's tongue within 10 minutes or so of delivery. If the calf cannot withdraw its tongue after being pinched, it's likely acidotic and a good candidate for early colostrum intervention. Colostrum should be consumed within the first four hours of birth. The second predictor of vigor is the strength of the calf's suckle reflex. To measure the suckle reflex, a producer should put two clean fingers into the calf's mouth and rub the roof within 10 minutes or so of delivery. A calf should have a strong jaw tone with rhythmic suckle reflex. A weak suckle reflex indicates the need to feed colostrum. In a different study, calves that did not sit up within 15 minutes of birth were found to have reduced absorption of immunoglobins. Calves born to cows that had a difficult delivery took longer to stand. These observations provide clues that the calf will require more care and colostrum intervention to increase the chance of survival. Immunoglobins are part of the goodies in colostrum, along with other antibodies, that are naturally provided by new mothers. Time is important because a newborn's calf digestive tract allows antibodies to pass directly into the blood. After 24 hours, the calf's intestines cannot absorb antibodies properly. The quantity and quality of the colostrum produced by the dam has a direct correlation to the dam's body condition score. A female in good body condition will have the nutrition she needs to make the proteins to pass on the immunity to her baby. Any calf born to a cow that has difficulty delivering and or a calf that has problems with these tests can be a good candidate for early intervention. The best treatment is to give two to three liters of colostrum from the mother within the first four hours of life. Any delay in getting colostrum into the calf will only increase the chance of its having problems later in its life. While this does require more work from the producer, it should pay off with more pounds of beef at weaning. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is a David Scrantz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. If you are thinking of raising chickens, you should first consider the following questions. Are there city ordinances or homeowner association restrictions that restrict raising poultry in the location being considered? Is there a source of feed available for growing the type of chickens you want to raise? Is the time and or manpower available to care for the chickens? And who will look after the chickens when you go out of town? Is suitable housing available for the flock size you are considering raising? 
If you plan to use your new flock as a source of income, is there a market for the product? For example, if you were to raise laying hens, is there a local market for eggs? Are facilities available for processing broilers or would you be able to process them yourself? Once you have considered the previous questions, the next step is to choose which breed you are going to raise. Chickens available today have been genetically bred for specific purposes. For example, meat birds have been bred for increased meat yield and improved feed conversion rates. They usually will not lay enough eggs to make it economically feasible to keep them beyond the broiler fryer age. Likewise, layers have been bred for increased egg production and smaller bodies. They will not grow rapidly enough to make good meat producers. There are some dual-purpose breeds available. With these breeds, it is sometimes desirable to process the males for food and keep the females for egg production. The breeds should be selected for the purpose desired. Most hatcheries can determine the sex of day-old chicks and will separate males from females if requested. Once you have decided what type of chickens you want to raise, next you will need to determine if you want to buy chicks or adults. Purchasing chicks from a hatchery is a common way to get birds for either meat or egg production. Purchasing chicks from a hatchery that participates in the National Poultry Improvement Plan will ensure that the birds have tested clean of certain diseases or have been produced under disease prevention conditions. Additionally, chicks can be purchased from various farm supply stores. Often, there will be options to purchase straight-run chickens or pullets. Straight-run refers to just hatched and will result in approximately half females and half males. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave Strauss with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Food safety describes the relative risk of eating different produce. Some foods will carry a higher risk of chemical and biological contamination due to common farming practices, but these practices will vary from farm to farm. Shopping for produce locally gives you the opportunity to ask sellers about their cultural practices. If you're a seller, you need to keep an eye on potential chemical contamination and biological contamination. Chemical contamination is a result of over-application of pesticide or a pesticide application that is too close to the harvest date. Pesticides have a number of days where that chemical cannot be applied before harvest. This is called a pre-harvest interval and is determined by how quickly the chemical breaks down. Applying too closely to the harvest date doesn't give the chemical enough time to break down and could be more likely to cause health issues in consumers. Biological contamination is the result of microbes ending up in the final product that are then consumed and cause human disease. E. coli is the most prevalent of these biological contaminants and is involved in most large-scale outbreaks. In most biological contamination cases, the pathogens will get onto your produce from water, either flood water or contaminated irrigation water. 
Soil on produce can also introduce pathogens, so making sure the seller washes produce with clean water and dries it before selling drastically decreases the odds of passing along sickness to you or your family. Chemical contamination can be greatly reduced by reducing the amount of insecticides applied or cutting them off entirely. Insecticides are the harshest chemicals you can apply to fruits and vegetables, so finding alternative control methods for insect pests or choosing crops that don't suffer as much insect damage, such as root crops, will reduce the pesticide load. You might also consider buying from organic producers who are more restricted in the chemicals they can apply. The Environmental Working Group has two lists, called the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen, that list foods least and most contaminated with pesticide residues. Shopping organically from the Dirty Dozen will have the greatest effect on reducing pesticide residue exposure. The produce with the most pesticide residue is strawberries. Watering your produce with city or tap water is considered safe because of water treatment, but watering from surface water like ponds or lakes, or from wells or cisterns, increases the chance that bacteria is present. If you are a Kansas or Missouri produce grower, you can get your water tested for bacterial colonies for free. Contact your local Extension office for more information. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Court Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.